Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm David Lyman. Today we have a feature about Wild Care, Inc., brought to you by Norm Holy. We will learn about the history of the organization. Today we'll, we will have a feature about Wild Care, Inc., brought to you by Norm Holy. We will learn about the history of the organization, their mission, and details about their work caring for wild animals. We will also have a short feature from the Indiana Environmental Reporter, the story is about Verifly, an app developed by Indiana University students to help commercial almond growers and beekeepers plan for pollination season. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your daily headlines. The country of Ireland will plant over 400 million trees by 2040 in their effort to remediate climate change. The announcement comes about two months after a study found that planting more than 500 billion trees was the most effective climate change solution available. The total trees on Earth are estimated to be slightly under 3 trillion. However, some say that reforestation isn't enough to in entirely reduce atmospheric or greenhouse gases and that it should be one of the many strategies employed. The oceans and the terrestrial environment now remove about 30% of the carbon dioxide produced annually by humankind. Fifteen years ago, natural carbon sinks removed 60%. The drop-off in removal is caused largely by the oceans having been become saturated with carbon dioxide and the net loss of 10 billion trees per year. The Emerald Isle is making their effort. Other countries have also embraced tree planting initiatives. Ethiopia planted a record 350 million trees in a single day in July. Scotland announced this year that it had surpassed its own tree planting goals with more than 20 million trees planted. WFHB has explored the tree planting plans for Indiana. We have checked with the Forest Alliance and they say the state has no plans to plant a significant number of trees on public lands. The DNR sells trees to individuals for profit but they do not have a planting program. It is widely agreed that forests are an inexpensive way of removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Over the last several years, the black vulture, a species historically from the deep south, has entered the state of Indiana. Now the black vulture species is found north of Bloomington. The black vulture newcomers are more aggressive than the common turkey vulture. Black vultures have even become a nuisance at boat ramp parking lots around Lake Monroe especially Fairfax State Recreation Area. Signs and brochures warn visitors that the birds will tear out windshield wipers and rubber seals, peck out pieces of trunk bed liners, and scratch paint with their claws. Another problem is the black vulture will kill live animals. They are known to even attack newborn calves and kill them by pecking their eyes out. 
How can you identify the difference between a black vulture and a native turkey vulture? The black vulture has a black or dark gray head, while the turkey vulture has a red head. When seen up close, the feathers of black vultures are a sooty black, while a turkey vulture's dark feathers also include dark brown. The wings of the black vulture are shorter than those of the turkey vulture, so the black vulture must feed its wings more frequently. A group of vultures is called a kettle, committee, or wake. The term kettle refers to vultures in flight, while committee refers to vultures resting on the ground or in trees. Wake is reserved for a group of vultures that are feeding. Conservation laws limit how farmers can respond to the bird's threat. The Migratory Bird Treaty Act protects the vultures, making it illegal for farmers to kill the birds without a permit from the Migratory Bird Permit Office, which is based in Bloomington, Minnesota. The permit process is time-consuming and complicated. There is an effort to remove barriers to killing black vultures. The turkey vulture is strictly protected and only eats carrion. Washington has become the first state to legalize composting human body remains. The legislation permits licensed facilities to offer a process called recomposition, which turns a dead body into about two wheelbarrows full of soil. The process takes several weeks. The body is placed in a temperature and moisture controlled vessel and rotated, surrounded by materials such as wood chips, alfalfa, and straw. The nitrogen and carbon composting accelerates natural decomposition. Families and friends of the deceased are permitted to keep the soil, which they can spread like ashes, after cremation. Another option is to use the soil for compost for plants such as vegetables and trees. The process is an environmentally friendly alternative to cremation, which releases carbon dioxide and particulate matter into the air. It's also an alternative to conventional burial, which entails draining the blood, pumping the body full of formaldehyde, and other chemicals that can pollute groundwater and using an almost indestructible coffin which takes up land. You've likely been exposed to polyfluoral alkyl substances, we all have, called forever chemicals because they don't break down easily in the environment. PFAS chemicals are found in the drinking water in 610 U.S. locations and 43 states, affecting 19 million residents. PFAS chemicals are even present in bottled water. Dozens of consumer products, including water-repellent clothing, pizza boxes, and non-stick pans contain PFAS. In addition to cancer, PFAS exposure is associated with liver malfunction, birth defects, immune system problems, and other issues. The chemicals accumulate in the tissues of animals and humans. Currently, Nearly all U.S. residents have PFAS in their bloodstreams. The best way to get rid of this class of chemicals is to stop producing them. To this end, environmental organizations are mobilizing grassroots support to pass comprehensive legislation to protect people from these toxic chemicals. The Water Act would fully fund U.S. water systems, including support for remediation of PFAS contamination in drinking water. So far, the bill has 75 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives, but needs a majority to pass. Bees pollinate at least one-third of people's food. With that in mind, humankind needs to become more friendly to bees. In 2018 alone, the U.S. honeybee population declined by almost 40%. Habitat loss, fragmentation, and degradation are largely responsible 
for what's called colony collapse disorder. Humans' expansion, including the development of roads, neighborhoods, and crop fields, have replaced bees, food sources, and nesting sites. States are in charge of large amounts of public lands that can be made more bee-friendly. On public land, states can take simple steps to offer habitats to help bees flourish. States can plant native flowering plants, which attract and sustain foraging bees. Such plants are reliable in producers of nectar and pollen that bees depend upon. Another solution is to provide bee nesting blocks. Approximately 30% of North America's 5,000 native bee species nest above ground in cavities and tunnels. States can provide bee nesting blocks to replace cleared trees and brush piles. The blocks provide shelter from the weather, a nesting place, and protection from predators. The bee-friendly states of Kentucky, Minnesota, and Washington have taken such actions to support bee populations. This year's the 18th anniversary of Wild Care, Inc. in Monroe County. In the following feature story, Norm Holy talks to director Stephanie Linzel. They discuss the history and mission of Wild Care and how staff and volunteers care for the injured, sick, and stranded wild animals found in our area. She is the center director for Wild Care, Inc. here in Bloomington. And uh, I'd just like to ask you, what's, what's the history of the organization. Wild Care is a wildlife rehabilitation facility located on the west side of Bloomington, just past Ivy Tech. Wild Care has been around since 2001. It was originally uh, part of the Monroe County Humane Association, or not Wild Care as it's known today, but wildlife rehabilitation was once part of the Monroe County Humane Association until they refocused their mission to solely focus on companion animals like cats and dogs. And so a group of rehabilitators left MCHA in order to found wild care because there was a need for wildlife rehabilitation in this county. So there are two components to what we do. One is wildlife rehabilitation. So we take in injured, orphaned, and sick native Indiana wildlife in order to rehabilitate them, raise them up until they're self-sufficient, or make them healthy again and release them back into the wild. We also have an education component to what we do. So we have about 20 education animals that are permanent residents here that could not survive in the wild for one reason or another, and we use those to educate the public. We do outreach programs at schools, churches, scout troops, with all sorts of groups to help the public on how to coexist with wildlife and what they can do to help our native Indiana wildlife. I, I'm curious, typically how many animals are you, are you having now? On site right now, we probably have about um, 100 right now. Um, we do approximately 1,500 animals every year. Um, it's quite a bit. So right now we're in the tail end of our busy season, so we do still have some baby opossums and squirrels as well as some of our songbirds are still around. A lot of our raccoons and skunks, for example, they all got released already. We do get some pretty exciting things on occasion. We get um, bald eagles in. Sometimes we'll get some endangered species of turtles. So we've gotten in mud turtles before. We, I probably our most interesting patient right now is a silver-haired bat. They are a species of special concern in the state of Indiana. How many turtles, like box turtles, do you have typically? This is actually a very busy year for box turtles in particular, um, and actually all sorts of turtles. We got in 
a number of aquatic turtles this year, a lot more than we usually have. I believe we have around 13 box turtles here right now, but I think this was one of our biggest years for box turtles. I don't have an exact number, but I would estimate that we've gotten in at least 50. If, say, a bird is injured, hit by a vehicle or something like that, typically how long does it take to rehabilitate them? Car, uh, it really depends on the extent of its injury. So um, sometimes if it's neurological, for example, we have brain swelling, you have to deal with motor issues and things like that. And with head trauma, there's always, it's kind of hit or miss. Whereas if it's something like a broken bone, we can easily kind of identify that. And depending on the nature of the break, we can set it. And with a broken bone, it can take several weeks in order for that animal to be able to be um, fully healed and then also make sure that it's fully flighted and able to fend for itself. So it really just depends on the nature of the injury, but it can take up to several months in order to successfully rehabilitate an animal that has been struck by a vehicle. Do you um, accept uh, fawns or, or, or full, fully grown deer? rehabilitator in the state that can do adult deer. No one is equipped for it, but also the DNR does not want us to. It's incredibly dangerous to do an adult deer. Unfortunately, Wild Care is not equipped at this time to do fawns. I believe Wild Care stopped rehabilitating fawns in 2015. Part of the reason for that is because our deer pen was destroyed in a storm a few years ago, and in order to construct a new one, to um, have it meet minimum standards for rehabilitation, uh, we would basically be in violation of our zoning laws in order to construct a new one. So we are hoping that we can one day rehabilitate deer again, but that's not a realistic goal at our current site. Uh, do you get uh, baby bobcats at all? We do. So last year we had three baby bobcats, only uh one of them made it and unfortunately ended up not being able to be released. So she was transferred to a zoo in Nebraska. We did not get any baby bobcats this year. And coyotes? Coyotes we do. We only got one coyote this year. Um, our most common predator that we get are foxes. So we did get several baby foxes this year. And how many of the animals ultimately go to zoos? Um, not too many. So we we do our best to make sure that an animal is releasable. Um, and when they absolutely cannot be, we do our best to uh, determine whether or not that animal will have a good quality of life in captivity. And if so, we try to find a, um, a home for it, whether it be in a zoo or a nature center or another rehabilitation and education facility like ours. A couple of them end up getting to stay with us if we determine that they're a good fit for our program. But our goal is always to release them back into the wild. We don't want to keep an animal in captivity if we don't have to. I, I wanted to ask you about the future. Are you willing to talk about your capital campaign for a new site? Sure. Um, I don't have too many details on that at this point. We recently found out within the last couple of weeks that our last year to be on our current site is 2024. So we will need to relocate by the end of 2024. So we are in the beginning stages of looking for uh, first of all, a new site. So at this point, we have not even identified um, any land. And we're hoping that potentially that can be donated to us. 
we're in the very early stages of that, but we will need a lot more capital in order to relocate. So we're hoping that we can get that help from the public in order to keep wild care alive past 2024. So uh, what, what size of property do you need? We're currently sitting on three acres, which has been adequate for now. Um, but in our ideal center, we would like to be open to the public, for example, for people to actually come to our site and visit our education animals. Not our rehab animals, but our education animals, which is something that we're not able to do currently on our current site. Um, I would say that in an ideal world, our, our parcel would be about five acres or more. We are getting by on the size that we have right now, but we would prefer it to be just a little bit larger in order to really provide the, the services and um, the enclosure sizes that would be best for our animals. Now, are you getting more and more animals per year, and so you need a expanded building, or is it pretty steady? It fluctuates every year. It depends on a number of things. It depends on the weather. So temperatures, for example, we're starting to get babies a lot earlier than normal. So, for example, in uh, this year, 2019, we got our first babies in February, which is pretty early for us. So baby season has been going on for us for a long time. So the number of animals that we get fluctuates. It's on average about 1,500, but it has increased quite a bit since the beginning days of wild care. And so we believe that we've outgrown our facility a little bit. So you'd like to be able to house how many animals at a time? Well, we would like to be able to expand our education animal collection if possible, such that um, we can have a stronger education program. We currently house about 20. I think it would be nice if we could house closer to 30. In rehab at any given time, we can have, for example, up to 200 animals in our mammal room, most of them being opossums, but we also at times will have, you know, 25 skunks and 20 raccoons and things like that. So it's hard to put an exact number on it, but um, during our full swing of things, we may have up to, you know, 400 animals at a time in the building. Is there something you'd like to convey to our listeners uh, about uh, wild care? Yeah, so we are a entirely donor-funded and volunteer-operated organization. We will train anybody who wants to work with us, so there's no animal care experience needed. We're always in need of uh, friendly new faces to help us accomplish our mission, which is to rehabilitate and release and care for these animals that are maybe less appealing than things like cats and dogs, but they are extremely important to our ecosystem and our everyday lives. So we're always in need of volunteers. We're always in need of donations. If you are looking for ways to help out Wild Care, just visit our website. It's wildcareinc.org. There are a number of ways that you can help either directly or indirectly on our website. I've been speaking with Stephanie Linzel. She is the Center Director for Wild Care, Inc. Thank you very much for your comments. Agricultural technology company, the Bee Corp, has developed a bee monitoring application to help beekeepers collect data on their hives. The brainchild of IU Bloomington students, this new app helps ensure bee safety and food security across the country. The story was produced by Enrique Sanz, a voice by Beth Edwards from the Indiana Environmental Reporter. Technology company named the Bee Corp has created a bee monitoring application that helps beekeepers collect vital data on their hives. 
IER's Beth Edwards tells us how the app will also help to ensure bee safety and food security across the country. The app is called Verifly. It uses an infrared technology to scan the inside of a hive and display an image of the contents on the screen of a mobile device. Its purpose is to provide beekeepers with essential hive health information such as bee count. According to co-founder and CEO Ellie Sims, Verifly is 93% safer and more accurate than traditional methods of hive inspection. The key is that it's non-invasive. You don't actually have to open the hive and disturb colonization for the bee count. The app was launched in February. In order to create the app, the Bee Corp team collaborated with more than 100 beekeepers to learn what kinds of data would be most helpful to the industry. Although beekeepers are primarily the ones using the app, the data they collect is provided to growers of commercial food crops. Verifly helps growers and beekeepers get on the same page, which is essential for hive health and food security. These industries work closely with one another to ensure many familiar foods wind up in grocery stores across the world. Some examples of crops that are pollinated by bees include strawberries, watermelon, coffee, pumpkin, lemon, and avocado. In fact, bees pollinate nearly one-third of all food. When growers need pollinators for their crops, they reach out to beekeepers to let them know how many they need. They then order the bees, oftentimes from across the country, and have them shipped into pollinate. Shipping bees over long distances is costly and dangerous. Not only does it use resources like fuel, which can have negative environmental impacts, but traveling also causes the bees stress and exposes them to disease. In order to determine whether a particular hive can survive the journey, beekeepers must carefully evaluate the health and size of the hive beforehand. Sims said Verifly will allow beekeepers to send fewer, stronger hives, which is beneficial to the bees because stronger hives have a better chance of surviving the shipping process. It also helps guarantee food security by ensuring that enough bees survive to pollinate the crops. Without the proper amount of pollinators, crop yields will be weak or non-existent. Sims has been educating other Hoosiers about bees since 2013. After a summer internship with a beekeeper sparked her interest, Sims founded the Beekeeping Club at Indiana University Bloomington. Soon, the group had more than 300 members. During Sims' senior year, she and fellow beekeeper Wyatt Wells entered the Building Entrepreneurs in Science and Technology competition through the Kelly School of Business. The competition invited students to pitch plans for their startup. As of now, the B Corp exclusively targets almond growers, in part because 80% of the world's almonds are grown in California. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm David Lyman. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery since 1976. Offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support from farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. 
Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. Now for some upcoming local events. A native plant exchange will take place on Saturday, September 14th from 9 to 11 a.m. in the Bryan Park North Shelter in Bloomington. Experts will be available to answer questions about plants, bring plants to share, pick up plants, and learn about native plants. For more information, go to mciris.org. There will be a straw lake hike at Brown County State Park on Saturday, September 14th, from 10 to 11.30 a.m. Meet at the Straw Lake parking area to enjoy a one-mile hike around the lake, where you will learn about the flora and fauna. Wear sturdy closed-toe shoes. The Full Harvest Moon Hike at Spring Mill State Park is scheduled for Saturday, September 14th, from 9 to 10.45 p.m. Meet Anthony and Chris at the Spring Mill Inn front patio for a rugged 2.5-mile hike on Trail 3. Dress accordingly. Learn to identify trees and shrubs by bark, bud, flower, and leaf during a hike through a deciduous forest with an experienced naturalist during the Woodland Plant ID hike on Sunday, September 15th from 1 to 3 p.m. at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. Wear comfortable shoes and bring a water bottle for this 1.5-mile hike. Please register at bloomington.in.gov slash parks. World Rivers Day cleanup on Sunday, September 22nd, will celebrate World Rivers Day from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. in the Sycamore Shelter at Lower Cascades Park. Learn the value of rivers and how you can improve your stewardship of rivers. You can celebrate by helping clean up Cascades Creek. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web, mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature story on wild care was produced by Norm Holy and edited by Kaylin Huffman Brower. The B Corp story was produced by the Indiana Environmental Reporter and edited by Patrick Callanan. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. David Lyman edited the script. 
Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show with help from co-producer Kalen Huffman-Brower. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. And I'm David Lyman. And this is EcoReport. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.